Good morning, everyone, and we're glad that you could join us out there, and just want to say uh, after all these weeks that we miss you and wish you could be here with us today, but we know that you're there watching, and even more than that, we know the Lord is with us today. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the highlight of the Christian calendar. This is the day that light overcame darkness, that life overcame death, that victory overcame defeat, and so we celebrate this today. I want to do some shout outs real quick to some people out there from our church. I want to recognize, first of all, birthdays. We have, first of all, Joshua Porter. He's celebrating his birthday today. What a special day to have a birthday, Josh. We wish you a happy birthday. And tomorrow, Joan Dingwall and Mel Benson will be celebrating a birthday. So a shout out to the two of you, and we wish you a happy birthday tomorrow. Uh, We also would like to extend a congratulations to Dan and Donna Johnson and the entire Johnson family on the birth of little Alice Elizabeth Brush, born on Friday, and uh, we want to wish Kyle and Elizabeth a congratulations on the birth of little Alice. We're excited for you all. And just a thank you to a few people. Uh, First of all, George and Wendy Klein. Um, They reached out this week, maybe to some of you. You got a postcard in the mail, an Easter postcard just wishing you Happy Easter. And I just want to thank George and Wendy for coming up with that great idea and for carrying it out and for the decorations that you see around me today uh, with George and Wendy and Patty. Uh, I want to say thank you for uh, providing that this morning. And then to Phil Rankin and the youth ministry crew, Kim Pites and Michelle Jeffrey for putting together the, I guess we call them Easter packets that went out and they hand delivered them to the youth, middle school and high school students of Clackamas Bible Church. So thank you for uh, the time that was put into that and the thought of putting that together. I got up on uh, Monday morning and as I do kind of a tradition, I turn on the Today Show to kind of see what's going on out there in the world and lately it's been kind of one dimensional a little bit. And uh, they had a director from the CDC, and he made a statement that kind of caught my attention. He said, this might be the darkest week in the battle against this COVID-19 virus. And I thought, oh, that's depressing on a Monday morning. But I thought, you know what? It really fits what's going on this week, Holy Week. As we look ahead, on, starting on Monday, and we looked ahead to today, There were some dark days ahead. You think of Friday morning till noon when Jesus was on the cross and then his body was laid in a tomb. All day Saturday into Sunday morning, it was a pretty dark day. But yet, on that morning on Sunday, Easter morning, the resurrection, there was a great light that was shown and the brightness of that day. It went from incredible darkness, maybe the darkest day in human history, to the brightest day in all of human history. And I want to say with all of you, and we do this traditionally here at Clackamas Bible Church, I want to say, He is risen, to which you respond, He is risen indeed. Now, I couldn't hear you real well, so let's do that one more time. He is risen. Yes, he truly is. Thank you for doing that. The name of the title of my sermon uh, today is What Difference 
does a resurrection make? And I want to talk about, in my sermon today, I want you to see that the resurrection is a fact of history. It happened. And we can put our faith and our trust in it. But more than that, it's an ongoing reality that affects my life today as well as all eternity. So it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's something that affects every part of my life. And one of the things I did this week was I asked you to respond to the question, what difference does it make? What difference does the resurrection make in my life? And I'm going to be reading some of those responses later in the sermon. So let's start with the first thing. The resurrection is a fact. The book of Acts, we've been going through this great book together, and I wanted to go back to chapter 1 to show that the resurrection truly is a fact of history. This is Acts 1, verses 3 to 8. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, and the Christian church, and indeed the whole book of Acts, would have been stillborn. For a living faith cannot survive a dead Savior. Now, when people hear the word faith, it's interesting what comes to their minds. Oftentimes you hear people say, faith is believing something I hope to be true. Or, faith is something that I know isn't true, but maybe if I believe it strongly enough, it will be. I want you to know that Christian faith has nothing to do with that. Christian faith is believing something that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is true. That there is convincing proof that says to me it is true. And that is what the Christian faith was built upon, was historical facts. Christianity is not just a philosophy or a set of ethics to live by, though those, it does involve those things. Essentially, Christianity is a proclamation of facts that concern what God has done. That is James Boyce making that statement. I want to show this morning there's seven pieces of good evidence that we can bank on when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first one is what was mentioned here in Acts chapter 1, the resurrection appearances. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8, Paul tells us this. He says in verses 3 and 4 that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose again according to the scriptures. Then he says in verse 5, Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some 
have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. The resurrection appearances are maybe the most important evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The New Testament records at least 12 of these separate appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. We have appearances to individuals such as Mary and to Peter. We have appearances to small groups of people such as the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the disciples in the upper room. We have appearances to large groups like the 500 people that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So across the board we have these appearances and then later in scripture we know in the book of Acts that Jesus appeared to Stephen while he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7. Then Paul at his conversion on the road that he was traveling. He was converted because he saw Jesus Christ. And then John on the island of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, one or two of these might be wishful thinking, but you can't dismiss all of these appearances. I read this in one of the commentaries. I thought it was interesting. It says, what if we had each person that witnessed the resurrected Lord come up here this morning and talk for 15 minutes giving a testimony to what they saw? If we listened to the testimony of all the people that Jesus appeared to, we would be here all day, all night, and Monday, and Monday night, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and sometime early Friday morning, they would just be wrapping up the testimony. It would take over 128 straight hours just to hear 15 minutes each the testimony of those that saw the Lord after he rose from the dead. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? They saw him. But then there was the Roman guard guarding the tomb that morning. Now, only Matthew of the Gospel accounts records these soldiers that were present there. In Roman times, um, it would have included 16 Roman soldiers. Now, these were guards that were elite. They were trained. They were trained to guard prisons. They were trained to do military action. You have, to, you have to think for a second, what would it have been like to be there as an elite military Roman guard and you're guarding a tomb? You're standing there with this rock and this tomb and you're standing guard. How did they feel that morning? But it gives you some indication of how important it was that this tomb remained sealed shut. That's how important it was to the Jewish people who came to Pilate and said, we want to make sure that stone doesn't get moved, that the body doesn't get taken away. And so they required that a guard be put outside the door. Now, these guys didn't fall asleep. They had, there would have been 16 of them that would have rotated probably every four hours. And if they would have fallen asleep on the job, they would have been put to death. It was taken that seriously. So... We have the Roman guard in place, guarding this, the tomb. But along with that, we have this stone marking and guarding the, the entrance to the tomb. Frank Morrison wrote a classic book called Who Moved the Stone? And he calls the stone the one silent and infallible witness to the whole episode of the resurrection. 
There was a couple things about the stone. First of all was its enormous size. It probably weighed well over two tons. And once rolled into place, it would have taken probably three or four people to move it back out of place. But even more than that was the fact that this stone was, this stone was sealed all the way around. And there would have been a stamp with the official seal of the Roman governor. And the penalty for breaking that seal would have been death. So you've got this huge rock in place. It's sealed. It's pretty solid. It's not going anywhere. Trust me. But then Luke and John record the, the grave clothes of Jesus that they found when they went into the tomb when it was empty. Interestingly enough, they found the linen wrap still in place on the rock slab there, and they saw the face cloth folded and put over to the side. Now, why is that interesting? It's almost like it's a cocoon after the butterfly has left, just remaining there. It's like the body of Christ literally came out of the grave clothes, and then he took the head wrapping off, laid it aside. That's an amazing piece of evidence that they recorded for us for the truth. Grave robbers, if they would have come and stolen his body, they would have either taken the body with all of the grave clothes with it, they wouldn't have taken the time, or they would have hurriedly unwrapped it and it would have been left all over the place. But again, the evidence is pretty clear here of the grave clothes. Then we have simply the empty tomb. When the soldiers woke up, they saw an empty tomb. When Mary came on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. When Peter and John ran to the tomb after finally believing the women, they found an empty tomb. When the Jews came to investigate, the tomb was empty. When the Romans came to make sure that it really was empty, guess what? It was. Once the disciples started preaching this resurrection, it would have been easy if the body was still around. It would have been easy to produce the body and put an end to this sham once and for all, but they were never able to do that. The final two pieces of evidence have to do with the disciples themselves. The first one, of the, the, the sixth one actually here, is the initial unbelief of the disciples. This truth is a great argument in favor of the resurrection. Here's the reality. None, none of the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead that morning. None of them believed at first. In fact, when the women come back from the empty tomb and report the tomb's empty, they basically laughed at them. They called them liars. They did not believe. So in their minds, they thought they had seen Jesus for the last time. They thought it was over. So their unbelief is paramount. But yet, something convinced, convinced them beyond their disbelief, against their wills that Jesus had rose from the dead. The other, the final piece, the seventh final piece of evidence is the changed lives of the disciples. They went from frightened, confused, disoriented, dazed, fearful, all of the above, to confident, bold preachers who stood in the temple courts proclaiming the truth of the resurrection. And beyond that, they lived lives that ultimately led to their death, all but one died a martyr's death for the sake and the truth of the resurrection. If that was a lie, they wouldn't have done that. Now, 
Some false theory, people have tried over the years to put the stone back in front of the tomb, and they've put together these false theories. Here's just a few that have been thrown out there. There's the swoon theory, this idea that maybe Jesus was just unconscious as he came down from the cross, and after being laid in the tomb, he came back to consciousness. The problem is that still doesn't give us any way, how did he get out of the tomb? It doesn't uh, any way help us there. The mistaken tomb theory. Maybe they just went to the wrong tomb, found an empty tomb, and they were mistaken. Well, the problem with that is we know whose tomb it was. It was Joseph of Arimathea's, and they had watched him be put in the tomb the day on Friday. They had watched him there. They knew which tomb it was. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. The other one is the stolen body theory. Of course, this one was put forth at the very beginning where the Jews basically paid people off to say that his body had been stolen. We know that's a lie. Then there's the hallucination theory. Maybe they were just seeing something that really wasn't there. The problem with that is how do you see something you really don't believe in anyway? And how can you account for 500 people seeing something all at the same time? It just doesn't make sense. Then there's the naturalist theory. Miracles don't happen, period. So therefore, the resurrection's a miracle. The resurrection cannot happen. Well, obviously, that limits a lot of things. It limits God. And it doesn't take into account anything beyond just what we can see here in our everyday lives. A lot of you, maybe like me, have been missing sports. Um, it's been driving me crazy, so I've been watching some of these replay of games that have happened 10, 20, maybe even 30 years ago. That's how desperate I have been. But one of the things that's fascinating to me is kind of a new thing in sports. It's this whole instant replay and this umpire or referee reviews that goes on in a football game or a basketball game. So a call is made on the field or on the court, then they review it. And then they come back with either overturned or confirmed based on the evidence. There needs to be enough evidence to overturn the original call. Why do I bring that up in this context? Here's the deal. The tomb is empty. That's the call on the field. Now, in order to overturn that, you've got to come with, up with indisputable evidence to overturn the call that's on the field, that the tomb is empty. People have tried, but they've failed greatly. So what comes back is the call is confirmed. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So we need to face some facts this morning. He is our resurrected Savior. There's indisputable evidence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is perhaps the best attested fact of ancient history. If the evidence is fairly examined and an open mind is there, the truth of the resurrection is the only possible conclusion one can come up with. The tomb is empty. How do you explain that away? The other thing I think to point out to us as believers and as Christians is the resurrection is a non-negotiable doctrine of our faith. There are things that we can debate. When's the rapture going to happen? A lot of different views out there. Old earth, young earth creation. A lot of debate on that one. Uh, you know, tongues, yes or no. 
in our church practice. There's a lot of these non-essentials, but when it comes to the doctrine of the resurrection and the truth of that, that is a non-negotiable. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 to 19, Paul says this, if Christ has not been raised, then this, here's what the truth is. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection is not true, there's four things that are true, Paul says. Number one, our faith is a joke as Christian. It's futile. Number two, we're still in our sins. We're in a mess. Number three, those that have fallen asleep, who have died trusting in Christ, are lost. That's an incredibly dark thought, isn't it? And then number three, those of us that are hoping in Christ in this life are to be pitied. We're a joke. People should feel sorry for us if the resurrection is not true. But we know it is. There's one unanswered question, and the question is, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then what happened to his body? For 2,000 years, no one has produced a convincing answer to that question, and no one will. The reality is that we, today, join with believers for over 2,000 years now that have proclaimed with certainty that he is, he is not here, he has risen just as he said. Amen? The resurrection is a fact of history. We can look back and know that it's true. We can base our faith on it today. But I think it's important to point out the resurrection is an ongoing reality. Today we live in a world that doesn't live by objective reality. What is true? Is it true? That's not really even the question that's being asked so much anymore. The question that people are more concerned with today is the subjective reality is it true for me? They might say something like, that might be your truth, you might believe that, but my truth is different. Your truth is important to you over there, but I live over here with my truth. And I want you to know today that the resurrection is an ongoing reality. 1 Peter 1, verses three to four. This is what Peter says about the resurrection. It says, praise be to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I preached on this passage last year on Easter. The reality is the resurrection affects what's going on now in my life. It's a living hope for today but it also speaks to the future. It's an inheritance that's kept for me in heaven. It's never gonna fade, it's never going away. I can live in the reality of the resurrection now and I can live in the reality of the resurrection going forward into all eternity. So what difference does the resurrection make? People today, I really believe there are people today that don't doubt the resurrection, but they would ask what difference does it really make? It's more, I don't, it, I don't care if Christ rose from the dead. So in response to that, there's five questions that I believe the resurrection answers in our lives today. The first question that we all struggle with is doubt, the question of doubt. 
And here's the question. How can I know which religion is the right one? We live in a day of there's a smorgasbord out there. There are so many choices and so many voices that are out there saying this is the way to happiness. This is the way to know God. This is the way to conquer your sins. This is a way to have a successful life. So how do we know the right answer? The reality is all religions have certain things in common. They all have a leader, someone that leads them. They all have a maybe a writing, of a book that they adhere to. Maybe they have ethics that they try to follow. They have a history, maybe a rich, even a rich history. But only Christianity has the empty tomb. You can go and find the tomb of Moses. You can go and find the tomb of Joseph Smith. You can find the tomb of Confucius. You can find the tomb of Muhammad. You can find the tomb of any of these leaders of these different religions. But the one thing that separates Christianity from all of them is the empty tomb. The other day I, I read this story. And I, it says a missionary in Turkey wished to teach a group of people the truth of the resurrection of Christ. He said, I'm traveling. I've reached a place where the road branches off in two ways. I look for a guide. I find two men, one dead, the other alive. Which of the two must I ask for direction? The dead or the living? Good question. Oh, the living, cried the people. Then said the missionary, why send me to Muhammad, who is dead, and you can insert any other name in there, why send me to them who are dead instead of to Christ who is alive? There is the answer to our doubt, the question of doubt. The question of guilt. Here's the reality in our lives. We know we sin. We know we're not perfect. And as we live our lives, this shame and this guilt, it's, it kind of builds up in our heart, in our souls. And the question is, how, how do I deal with this? What's the answer to my sin? What's What's the solution to this guilt and the shame that I feel? And people seek to overcome this in a number of ways. One is maybe by doing good things. If I do enough good, it'll overcome all the guilt and the shame that I feel. It's kind of like this this balance in my life. I gotta have more on the good side than the bad. Or maybe they go about just seeking pleasure. Maybe just to drown out the noise of what I feel in my heart to be true. So I'm just going to have a great time and seek the pleasure on this earth. Maybe it's pursuing a religion. If I'm religious enough, if I'm devout in what I believe, maybe that'll answer this question. But we're left with that guilt and that shame that piles up in our life. And only Christ's death and his resurrection answers that question. His death, he took our sins on himself as our perfect sacrifice. And the resurrection verified it. The resurrection made it effective. Without the resurrection, the death of Christ would be meaningless. So the two together bring about the relief of that guilt. A third question is the question of loneliness. You know, we're living in a time where people are isolated, cut off from each other. It's frustrating. It's hard. And there's mental illness out there that should never be taken lightly. There are people who are struggling with depression, during this time. Christianity doesn't just talk about loneliness. Christianity actually takes us through the steps to the other side. What do I mean by that? Christ came to this earth, 
lived as you and me, experienced the loneliness, rejection of man that we suffer with. Then he went to the cross, and on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross he experienced separation and isolation from God because he was bearing our sin. He understood, he bore the sin that you and I have in our lives. He took it to the cross. But on the other side of the cross is the empty grave where Jesus came to his disciples and he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. We have the words of a living Savior on the other side of the cross saying, I'm here, I'm going nowhere. I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. That's the answer to the loneliness that we need in our lives. The question of weakness. You know, again, we know we sin, we know we struggle, we know there's this kind of this image in our lives that we have of who we wanna be. Then there's who we really are, right? All of us have this. We want it, we strive to be this, but here we are over here and here's the reality. We fail all the time, we can't overcome this addiction, this sin, uh, my marriage isn't what it should be, you name it, we've got, them. we've got them there, we struggle. So what's the answer to my weakness? I can't do it, I can't do it. And to that I would say, you can't, that's true. But he can, why do I say that? Well, in Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power we have through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when you say, I can't fix this marriage, I can't fix my kids, the reality is, yeah, you can't. But those of us that know Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is in us, the same power that rose him back to life from the dead. When we understand that, when we put our trust in him and let him lead the way, there's power there. There's great power there. The final question that the resurrection helps us deal with, and 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says it's the last enemy that needs to be overcome, and it's the question of death. The reality of standing by a graveside, the reality of facing an illness that might cause death eventually, the reality that we will all experience death unless the Lord returns prior is something we all struggle with. It's, it's there in the back of our minds. It's something that sometimes weighs heavy on us. But the resurrection gives us hope. It gives us an answer to that. Job 14, 14 says this. He has a great question. If someone dies, will they live again? Job says, it's a great, if someone dies, will they live again? But look what he says. All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. This is most likely the oldest book in the Old Testament, but there's a hope and there's a promise and there's an expectation 
And there's a truth in this verse that he says, yes, death is going to happen, but if I wait, my renewal is going to come. I'm going to be renewed. I'm going to be resurrected again to face new life. We have hope in Christ because, and only because, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As a young man, D.L. Moody was suddenly called upon to preach a funeral sermon. He hunted all through the four Gospels trying to find one of Christ's funeral sermons. That would have been good, huh? Preached Christ's sermons. But he searched in vain. He found that Christ broke up every funeral he ever attended. Death could not exist where he was. When the dead heard his voice, they sprang to life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And the life. I love that picture. It's just he showed up, death was taken care of. And the same is true with our resurrected Savior. He shows up, death is taken care of. Isn't that a beautiful promise? The question of doubt, guilt, loneliness, weakness, and death are all answered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this week, I ask you, the congregation, to respond to the question of what difference, okay? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make in my life? And thank you for your responses, and I would like to show them to you and also read them. And I'm going to, uh, names are, I'm not giving last names, by the way, because this is going out onto YouTube, and so I want to protect the privacy of those who have shared, but I'll share first names. For me, the resurrection means I now have a permanent place in the family of God. Because of Jesus' faithful and obedient sacrifice, I am. I told the man that led me to Christ, I'm not ready yet because I need to get some things in my life cleaned up. To which he responded, Christ doesn't want you to clean up your life, then come to him. He wants you to come to him and let, you, let him clean up your life. That's the truth of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. John R. The, rec- the resurrection provides the evidence that God the Father accepted God the Son's payment for my sin. And then comes the power he uses on my behalf. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ means everything to us. It's our whole life. We thank him every day for saving us. Our old life is gone. Now we live anew with his life in us. Jim and Sue M. The resurrection means to me mission accomplished. The greatest day. A new covenant is sealed. Sunday supersedes the Sabbath. Central to my faith. God is satisfied. The price of redemption is paid in full. Peace with God is achieved. Overwhelming power renders peace. Eternal life is at hand. Hallelujah. The heaven rejoices. John and Janet. T. It is the basis of my hope in Christ. It validates that all he promised holds true and I will be accepted as a joint heir with Christ in his heavenly kingdom. Death has been conquered once and for all through Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross, Phil J. 
Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, that's the verse I had read earlier. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Patty C. Awestruck love, hope, reliable trust. I told you what I would do. Glorious celebration of infinite love. I sometimes have a difficult time expressing these things when it seems so unexplainable. It's because of the gratefulness of Jesus loving me so much to die for me. Then to prove to the entire world his word is true by rising again the third day. Now that's awesome. Steve F. The resurrection means everything to me. It means the fulfillment of God's plan for our salvation since Adam. The power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is beyond any other power imaginable. And God asked this of his son. And the love of the son made him obedient to his father's perfect will. Only a God of love could orchestrate it. And someday in his perfect timing, we shall be blessed to be resurrected to be with him. This is our hope. And that hope, the hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, dwells in our hearts and soul as a filter through which all of life can be born. I love that. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It is the illustration of the grace, mercy, power, and love of our almighty God. With the resurrection, humankind knew Jesus Christ as his son, and the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts wisdom beyond understanding. It is the light of our souls, the hope of our lives here, and the joy that lies before us, Katie B. There is nothing more powerful in my testimony than the fact that Christ overcame the grave and rose from the dead for me. I was absolutely without hope until the light of the glorious gospel shined on the truth of Romans 5.8. I can't do anything to clean my life up except die to self and let Christ live in me. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. All because Jesus conquered death and rose victorious from the grave. Alleluia. Judy B. Thank you, Jesus, for eternal salvation. Norma. To me, the resurrection means unlimited, unearned grace, abounding mercy, unconditional love, all at an unbelievable price paid by Jesus Christ. Pat. It is new beginnings, something resurrected from death to life. Whatever is in my life, it ranges from thoughts, words, and deeds. It is also a new chance to start over, wash the slate clean, surely. 1 For me, the resurrection means I now have a permanent place in the family of God. Because of Jesus' faithful and obedient sacrifice, I am, and this is, an acrostic. And so this is really sweet. So the acrostic is going to spell out family of God. So F, I am forgiven for my sins. A, atoned by his blood. M, mercifully made new. I, 
identified with Christ. L, limitless through his power. Y, Yahweh's favor. Yahweh's forever, excuse me. I am family of, and then G, graciously given salvation. O, openly in communion with God. D, delivered from death. Thank you, Bethany, for putting that together. Very creative. Because of his power over death and his personalization of it for me, I am empowered and responsible to live a new life, Wendy K. The resurrection is the pinnacle of my faith and it gives me great hope for tomorrow and eternity, Brian H. The resurrection of Christ is a historical fact without which we have no hope of anything past death. I think about how the resurrection makes life changes in us. What a hopeless world we would be living in without the resurrection. Amen to that. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. His presence through our lives, Bob C. This is from one of our missionaries, Sierra. Good news, both a triumphant victory and an inexpressible peace. Praying for both of those reminders during this strange time. I need to keep repeating to myself, Christ is risen. And it puts everything into perspective. Thank you again for your responses. Those are beautiful. And it helps me just hear from you. What does the resurrection mean? It's a wonderful historical fact, but it has reality that it's living today in our lives. It means something to us. I don't know if you know who John Krasinski is. He is probably, for some of you that watch The Office, he is Jim Halper. Uh, He's the main character on the Jack Ryan series. Uh, He's starred in different shows. But I thought he did something really interesting and maybe even helpful that we all could use. He started a YouTube show from his own home, really kind of low budget, called Some Good News, SGN. And I thought, what a beautiful title. Couldn't we all just use some good news right now during this time? And this YouTube show of John's has just gone through the roof. People are responding to it. And he's done a great job of telling some good stories and helping us just feel some good news. If people were to ask me, Ken, what's some good news? What's some good news during this COVID-19 epidemic that we're all struggling through? I would point them to Romans 8. I would read Romans 8. And some of you that have come to me in the past and said, Ken, I'm down, I'm depressed, I don't really feel like God is close to my life, I have pointed you to Romans 8. And I, I keep going back there, and I wanted to read this to you as some good news. And here it is. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, and who, what, can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that. Don't you love this? He was raised to life. And even more than that, He's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. Do you get that? He died, he rose again, he's ascended, he's at the right hand of God, he's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
He's going to list them out here. Shall trouble, COVID-19, hardship, sorry, had to put that one in there, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. Wow. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For those of you today that are listening or watching this live or will watch it in the future, I just want to ask you this question. Have you come to terms with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave? Have you put your faith and trust in him as your savior? That's the most important question for today. Only when you, until you do that can you say and can you really celebrate what this day means today? Only when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ can you say nothing can separate us from his love. We are more than conquerors through him. My prayer, my desire is that today you would consider that if you haven't already. And if you have put your faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, then you can celebrate with me and say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.